it's helpful and, and maybe not absolutely necessary, but, but certainly a discernible advantage to help your kid identify a career that they're interested in and begin building relevant skills mm. at a very early age. Right. You know, and, and people say, no, 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 you know, kids should have the opportunity to figure out what makes them happy. You know, but I don't know how many kids I know are forced to play the violin, forced <laughs> to go to soccer practice, forced to play the debate team, forced to do chess, right? And, and, and you know, very few folks, right, utilize those skill sets in their career, right. right? Those skill sets, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, capital V valuable at the end of the day. But, uh, but I mean, you look like LeBron James has been playing basketball since he was three years old. Right. You know, and nobody said, oh, that, that's too early to start. Let him figure it out. You know, and, and so, so I think the same is true with real estate. With the math, you know, in fifth or sixth grade, depending on your school district, you should be able to underwrite every single real estate deal that comes across my desk today. Right. Right. There's nothing complicated mm. about it. You know, you can, you can add, subtract, multiply, and divide fraction. You are good to go. And so, you know, I, I don't see any reason why kids at a minimum shouldn't understand how, how taxes and balancing a checkbook work very early on. But frankly, you know, understanding like basic bond pricing models, how to value streams of cash flow, what present value means, how to calculate mortgage payments. Like those things are all things you can learn before you get to seventh or eighth grade. And, and I don't see why they don't tie in practical applicability to the math that you learn in, in middle and elementary school. On the way to the top floor. I ain't selling out though, but I'm on the way. Got a lot of real must motivate. Hold all the moves, I'ma put in play. On the way. Motivation for all the real nigga. On the way. On the way. To the big check, you ain't know I'm up next till I'm on the way. You ain't take risks cause you too afraid. I'ma just eat till I'm overweight. On the way. On the way. What's up y'all? This episode is sponsored by Park Hill Consulting Services. If you are interested in learning how to purchase your first investment property or you need some help getting your finances in order so that you can purchase your first investment property, just contact us at www.parkhillconsultantservices.com and we can get you started. We hope you guys enjoy the rest of this episode. What's up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. My name is Deanna Kent, and I'm here with my co-host, Xavier Miller. What's going on, everybody? And today, we have a very special guest joining us on the show today. His name is Donahue Peebles. 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 And he's a real estate investor. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the show, Donahue. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Sorry about the name. <laughs> Hey, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. People mess it up all the time. You have no idea how many different permutations there are from Pebbles to Pebbles. <laughs> you know, so, so glad, glad you got it right the second time. Yeah. But for those of you here, it's Donahue Peter. Yeah, and, uh, and then unfortunately, I've got a suffix as well. So I'm the third. Uh, my father, same name as me, goes by Don Peebles. He's he's richer and more important, but I'm better looking. <laughs> so how relevant it is on a podcast, but uh, you know, for those out there, you guys can know. Yes, yes, sir, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And uh, just to get into it, the first question we always ask our guests, knowing that you're a real estate investor, so what was the start? Just giving a little background on yourself. Of course, of course. So, so like I said, uh, I've got a Sussex right. I'm the third. Uh, my father uh, is uh, is the gentleman credited with, with giving me in real estate, 
and uh, you know, he's a real estate investor himself and who was brought into the business by his mother. So to go all the way back to, to the 80s, and, and you guys can hear like Billy Ocean or something in the background, um, <laughs> my father was in, in undergrad at Rutgers studying to be a doctor. I just finished uh, being on the Hill. Uh, he was a Capitol page his junior, senior year high school, working for uh, Congressman John Conyers, who we actually just passed, and, and Ron Dellums. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he was in Rutgers, he was in class. Uh, and by the time he was 27, he did his first office building, a 100,000 square foot office building in historic Anacostia, which is a historically black neighborhood in, uh, in Washington. Um, you know, from there, uh, we built uh, a number of projects, uh, most, uh, most notably uh, Amtrak's corporate headquarters, 10G Street, moved down to South Florida, built a hotel down there, the Royal Palm, uh, which is the first, uh, was the first black-owned hotel in Miami Beach. Uh, we also built uh, the largest condo project by a black developer uh, at the Bath Club, uh, which is on 58th and Collins, so over 180 condos and eight gorgeous seaside villas. Uh, did some projects in Vegas and in San Francisco. Um, and, uh, and now we've got a pipeline of $4.5 billion in development. And gateway cities like New York, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Charlotte, and of course, Miami Beach. Uh, but, uh, but I got started in the business uh, because it's a family business. Mm-hmm. And uh, so whether it's nature or nurture, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just remember when, uh, when I was in, in fourth grade and we learned long division and how to carry the numbers. You know, that's the day I learned what the cap rate was. I came home and I said, hey, Dad, look, I can show you how many times five goes into 400. And he said, well, that is going to teach you how to value a building. Mm. Um, and then I remember even before that, in the practice, you know, you carry numbers and you add and subtract. Or, I don't even know how that works anymore, but at one point I did. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I did that on, on P&Ls for a hotel at the Royal Palm. So my real estate education was, was happening sort of simultaneous with, um, with my conventional education. Uh, so, you know, I went to, uh, I, gra- I worked all the way through high school. Uh, ended up working while I was in college at the Good Fortune in Columbia in New York City, where we had an office. So uh, I worked in, in the morning and went to class in the afternoon. And some semesters I switched it and did class in the morning and, and worked in the afternoon. So by the time I graduated, I was really fully immersed in the business. And, uh, you know, I've been ripping and running ever since. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And, uh, like... For those who don't know, I would I would definitely advise everyone to to, to research more information like on your father because I've done research on his, his background and the things he's done is like simply amazing. And I'm always interested and like I always say I like studying like families and I love like the the the, the dynamics that your family have and like how important is like because I seen a post that you made and it was so dope to me. It was uh, you and your dad. And you said I might be fair. I could be paraphrasing, but you said something like. We don't have a 30-year plan. We have a 300-year plan. And I was like, wow, that's like, that's, 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 that's so dope. And I feel like that should be everybody's like inspira- aspirations behind that. So like, do you just uh, going into like how important it is carrying on that fa- family legacy to you? I mean, look, it's, it's, it's very motivating, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I think, I think when you, when you're given the opportunity of a lifetime, it's important to take advantage of it within the lifetime of that opportunity. So, you know, for me, it's always about doing justice to the work that my grandmother and my father did, right? And, uh, and continuing to, to, to do justice to that opportunity. 
to show that, that their hard work uh, didn't go for naught. And uh, you know, my hope is, is that one day uh, when I have children, that those children kind of have the, the same value set and, and the same impetus to, to go out and achieve and, and be successful, maybe not in real estate, but certainly in, right. in, in whatever field they, they find passion in. You know, and, and what I love about real estate is, is that it's transferable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's an industry that itself is, is transferable, right? And, and when I say that, I say, you know, if, if your father's a surgeon uh, and you turn 18, you can't, you know, make you a surgeon too. Right. right? You've got to go to medical school. You've got to learn how to do it. You know, you've got to practice and ideally not make too many mistakes. And, you know, all of these things, you have to develop the skill set. Mm-hmm. But if your father's a real estate investor, he can just transfer you real estate and then you yourself become a real estate investor. Right. right? And right. and the business, you know, frankly, isn't as complicated as being a surgeon, right? <laughs> right? I think I think there's there's sort of a requisite emotional intelligence and a fluency with numbers that you need to have. But if you can't underwrite a real estate deal on a napkin, right, or you can't do it with a basic calculator that adds, subtracts, multiplies, and divides, then you're not doing it the right way. Mm. Right? There's no calculus here, there's no Euclidean geometry. It's a very simple business with low barriers to entry. And if you're persistent and dogmatic enough and you have good discipline and good habits, right, you're going to be able to be successful and you don't need that like unique esoteric skill set that you would need to be a surgeon or an NBA player, you know, or, or even uh, a scientist of some sort. Uh, you just need sort of very, very simple skills and the willingness to apply them over time. Mm, that's amazing right there. And just going into real estate a little more, so when did you like officially start doing your first deals? Like what, what age was that? Oh man. Well, I was working on the family deals, uh, at a very early age. So I guess uh, my first one that I had like, like real kind of like, you know, individual responsibility. I think I was in eighth grade, maybe. Wow. Uh, and this, this is when we, uh, which we do primarily public private partnerships. And so we put together these responses, uh, to governments, uh, that issue press for proposals for site to ban, right? So if the district of Columbia has a site that they want to sell to a developer, they'll put it out and they'll say, we're requesting proposals for this site. And then it's effectively a big school project. You design the site, you say how much you can pay for it and how much tax revenue it's going to generate and how many jobs that are going to be created from it. And you write this big write-up with all these ancillary documents. <laughs> really, it's just a big school project. Right. And I remember uh, when I was in eighth grade, I was in charge of the narrative portion of the uh so like the executive summary you know summarizing the team and in, in, in our development program he talks about the narrative program and the physical construction of the binder right and so back in the day i was like microsoft publisher and a bunch of different other things and i come into work uh after uh after school before basketball practice and i would work on that for a few hours and i was like my first kind of you know real individual responsibility wow <laughs> that is crazy. Eighth grade. That's a, but that just goes to show how, like, that's what that's what's so amazing about to me. Like, just the mentality behind building, like, uh, a family of, of 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 substance. Really, like, installing that into your kids at an early age. Like, mm-hmm. how how important do you think it is to teach your kids financial literacy as early as possible? Very, very. I mean, absolutely. I think you know, honestly, and, and this is this is maybe like a problematic position, but uh, right. I'll say it anyway. And that's you know, 
I think it's, it's, it's helpful and, and maybe not absolutely necessary, but, but certainly a discernible advantage to help your kid identify a career that they're interested in and begin building relevant skills mm. at a very early age. Right. You know, and, and people say, no, 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 you know, kids should have the opportunity to figure out what makes them happy. You know, but I don't know how many kids I know are forced to play the violin, forced <laughs> to go to soccer practice, forced to play the debate team, forced to do chess, right? And, and, and you know, very few folks, right, utilize those skill sets in their career, right? right? Those skill sets, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, capital V valuable at the end of the day. But, uh, but I mean, you look like LeBron James has been playing basketball since he was three years old. Right. You know, and nobody said, oh, that, that's too early to start. Let him figure it out. You know, and, and so, so I think the same is true with real estate. With the math, you know, in fifth or sixth grade, depending on your school district, you should be able to underwrite every single real estate deal that comes across my desk today. Right. Right. There's nothing complicated mm. about it. Mm. You know, if you can add, subtract, multiply, and divide fraction, you are good to go. And so, you know, I, I don't see any reason why kids at a minimum shouldn't understand how, how taxes and balancing a checkbook work very early on. But frankly, you know, understanding like basic bond pricing models, how to value streams of cash flow, what present value means, how to calculate mortgage payments. Like those things are all things you can learn before you get to seventh or eighth grade. And, and I don't see why they don't tie in practical applicability to the math that you learn in, in middle and elementary school. I agree a hundred percent because if you realize like you learn all the fundamentals up until eighth grade, yeah. then high school and college is kind of just repetitive. It's just, yeah, they just add on more to it. But instead of constantly rehashing those same subjects, we should definitely implement some more financial literacy and real estate courses in there. Yeah, because the fundamentals are there. Like yeah. yeah, the fundamentals. But I mean, you know, like like I got I got a nice degree in economics. I had to take a ton of calculus classes and take differential equations, count one, two, and three while I was in college. You know, and and I in 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 my professional life, I haven't used any of those skills, frankly. <laughs> right? Uh, I've used all of the math I learned until eighth grade, and and so you know, I remember the word problems, right? Like if Sally has thirty six oranges. And they cost eight cents a piece, right? And so a fifteen percent discount. How much is Sally paying with the register? Right. <laughs> so I've never bought thirty-six oranges, right? And that's just not relevant math for me, right? Mm -hmm. But imagine if you were able to do the same thing, right? The same math and the same concept, but instead Sally's going to buy a building for six hundred thousand dollars, right? Her loan is going to be eighty percent loan to value. How much is her loan going to be? Imagine that. Imagine the paradigm shift that we could cause in our education system and imagine how much better off our children would be moving into the workforce with that sort of fundamental knowledge, mm. right? Right. Instead of learning fractions, you know, uh, Jim is four-fifths the height of Sally and Sally is three-fifths the height of Dave and Dave is six feet tall. How tall is, you know, Jim or Sally or whoever, right? Imagine if instead we said, this building makes $4,000 a month of net operating income, mm. right? We, we needed to cover debt by, one, by more than one and a half times. How much is our maximum mortgage payment? 
right? That's an easier math problem than the weird height one I just said. <laughs> <laughs> it's fundamental. No, it is. It, it is. It's an easier math yeah, problem. It is. Right? But because I use words like mortgage and debt service coverage ratio, it sounds more challenging. Right. Right? And it's the vocabulary that's inherently exclusionary and our lack of exposure to it that makes it frightening and allows folks to get taken advantage of and create a system in which regular people do not understand the economic machine. And that, frankly, I mean, is, is, is very frustrating, right? right. And, and it's, uh, it's emblematic of the many failures of the American education system. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I simply agree with that 100%. But with that being said, so how important in today's time do you think, like, going to college is? Because that's always a debate with people, like, especially right now. How important do you think it is? Well, it depends on what you want to do. Right, right. Uh, right, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to be a lawyer, going to college is super important. Because uh, right. I wouldn't want a lawyer without a law degree, right? If you want to be an engineer, going to college is also very important. Yep. Um, but but you have to start making, like, a, like a really kind of, like, discernible economic calculus. Uh, you know, with, with respect to going to college, right? If you're going to college and you want to major in communications and that's not going to turn into law, then maybe you're better off foregoing the massive amount of student debt, you know, that you're going to incur going to a liberal arts institution, right? Uh, and instead get a library card and begin earning income almost immediately, right? right? The chasm between uh, the earning potential for, for college graduates uh, and, and those with high school diplomas, uh opens and closes with respect to the degrees that those college graduates get, right? Uh, and so, you know, I think, I think we have to ask kids to make really kind of prudent financial decisions and fundamentally understand the liability that they're taking on when they take out student loans, right? And again, kind of harkens back to, to that, that lack of uh, financial literacy, that inability to understand uh, the ramifications of, of securing and, and undertaking, you know, huge, huge loan to finance your education. In many senses, it pays off, right? You're in a law degree your first year out of law school, making 180 grand a year. You can make those student loan payments, right? But you know, you spend sixty, seventy thousand dollars getting an undergraduate English degree, you know, without professional degree aspirations. So you're you're into, you know tough sledding to go ahead and pay that back. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that folks can't, but uh, you know, you, you got to have your eyes open yeah. uh, when when you make those sorts of decisions. Yep. But I, you know, I, I think I think that there there are a lot of, uh, of of pieces to that, right? You know, in some sense, someone someone's got to say, look, I mean, is it the responsibility, you know, of uh, of the public institutions, right, of, of the nation itself to educate its citizens? Is it a net economic benefit uh, to to the nation as a whole if their citizens aren't burdened by student debt, right, and, and can you know instead increase their productivity through education? I mean, I, I think there's viability to that argument. So. You know, to me, uh, I'm open to. I, I think I think free college, or certainly you know, free community college, is is a no-brainer. Mm. Uh, without without the the burden of student loans and with the ability to fail, I think we encourage entrepreneurship. I think we encourage creativity. I think a more robust social safety net actually encourages growth right. as opposed to discourages work because it encourages risk taking, which is inherently job creating. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree with that. And I, I got uh, a couple things I wanted to, I wanted you to touch on really quick. And that was I seen you talk about uh, talk about the uh, what was it again? Building affordable homes. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. affordable homes. I want you to touch on that uh, uh, for a quick second. Also, I also seen you touch on the uh, possible upcoming recession. So those are two things I want you to just touch on for a second. 
Got it. Um, I think uh, building affordable housing is a great real estate play. I think it's very technical uh, and and uh, and very very necessary, right? And it's always good to to make money while doing something that's a net positive for the community. That said, I think that affordable housing in general is uh, it's like taking Advil when you've got the flu. It treats the symptom, but doesn't necessarily treat the underlying disease. Right. And I said that to say right. that I think the cause of housing unaffordability is twofold. One, in major urban environments and in, in you know city centers, it's due to artificial supply constraints. Right, tons of people want to move into the city, and housing is unable to keep up with the influx of demand for a variety of reasons. But probably most notably, uh, supply constraints through zoning which prevent how much you can build on certain parcels of land or what you can build on certain parcels of land. And two, uh, historic preservation, right? Uh, it's, it's unreasonable in New York City, for instance, that the you know, massive swaths of the West Village and the Lower East Side you know, are designated historic uh, because really what it's preventing is the, you know, the demolition of antiquated housing stock that was built for a New York that's one-sixth the size that it is today. Right. Right. Developers and, and, and communities are going to benefit if the, the market is allowed to solve the problem of, uh, of new residents coming in by making sure that the housing stock keeps up with demand. I think affordable housing is very, very different. Right. When when you talk about rural environments or environments where there's not uh, discernible supply constraints, things like Oklahoma City. Right. Because there, the folks who need affordable housing can't afford a home at the cost of replacement. So the physical bricks, mortar, and labor of the house itself costs too much for somebody to afford while working a full-time job. And that's a poverty problem. That has a ton of different systemic issues. I think sort of what we can do to resolve that is, one, raise the minimum wage. Two, encourage financial literacy so that people can protect their credit tours, right, and become good borrowers so they can attract mortgages. And then three, uh, I think the, the, the... sort of tributaries of redlining have continued to permeate mm-hmm. into contemporary lending practices, you know, similarly to how they did in the 70s and 80s. Right. And the goal should be, you know, to find a way to encourage banks and lending institutions to lend to those with greater credit risk in neighborhoods that are historically black and brown so that we can begin to stem sort of this systemic inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess uh, the second question was, uh, yeah, was about the recession. About, yeah. How- um, I was gonna ask how like oh, I was gonna ask like how I want I want to put I don't want you to put a date on it but do you think it's gonna be as bad as some people are like as expecting it to be? Well, that's a good question. I think I've headed a soft landing to be honest with you, um, and I think there's a, a really great kind of Pimco call on that uh, that that I, I think it's kind of well thought out. I think you're gonna see a slowdown in in manufacturing. In, in many respects, manufacturing is, is already in a recession. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the soft data uh, demonstrates that uh, the households are getting increasingly uh, more concerned about the, the long-term uh, health of the American economy. They're beginning to save more. Credit utilization is going down. Um, I think that, uh, that there's still some powder in the keg for the Fed to continue to lower rates and, and loosen monetary policy Today, we just saw another S&P high. So, I mean, things are voting well for the short term. I mean, maybe there's some sort of business cycle correction. But I think, you know, um, 
I think tax reform provided a little bit of a jolt that we'll likely see a retread of. But, you know, beyond that, I think, I think we're in a relatively safe place. And I'm, I'm pretty confident, uh, you know, that uh, the Fed will be able to navigate whatever, whatever slowdown in the business cycle kind of comes about. Okay. Yeah, that's it. That's, I, I like that. And the last, the last question I have is, uh, so what is the, what do you think is the most important lesson you learned, like, for, uh, about business or just personal, like, from your father? Oh man, uh, every step back is an opportunity in disguise. And that doesn't mean like, you know, uh, that doesn't mean that every, every time something goes bad, it means that something good is going to come of it, right? But I think it's a disposition that, you know, negative outcomes are, are, you know, fact of life. And, you know, that, that instead of bemoaning your position and saying, you know, where, where are we? This sucks. Uh, it's about, you know, turning your attention to what can I do to improve my position? You know, how can I utilize this step back to provide a new sense of urgency so that I can move forward and, and, and create something greater? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, man, when they experience failure, they think of it as an indication that they're not good enough right. uh, or, uh, you know, that, that they don't they don't have whatever, you know, esoteric and historic quality it is for them to be successful. And not only that's true, right? I think any sort of endeavor, uh, in any sort of endeavor, sort of failures and necessity because every failure is the, the prerequisite to growth. And, uh, you know, anytime that, that we experience a setback, it's, it's sort of that, that, that springboard to, to find a new way forward to adapt and to improve. So, it's, uh, and, and my father demonstrates that, you know, throughout his career. And I, I try to, you know, embody that as, as I make choices and I navigate the, the business landscape. So, look, I mean, you know, mm. things are going to go poorly. Yep. Right, the rain's gonna fall. Uh, let's <laughs> yeah. build a better umbrella. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I love that. That's deep. That's deep, man. And uh, and wrapping up, we just want to say we definitely appreciate you taking the time out your uh, busy schedule and come on and talk talk to us for a second. And uh, before we before we let you go, do you mind plugging in all your stuff for people that they want to uh, follow you, get in contact with you, and all those good things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the best way to get in contact is through my Instagram, Don underscore Peebles. Uh, I'd like to tell you that I, I use my Twitter, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> but Instagram's probably the best way to go about it. You can check out the Peebles Corporation at peeblescorp.com. It's Peebles Paul, E-E-B-L-E-S-C-O-R-P.com. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from everybody. And, uh, you know, to the extent that you've got questions, uh, you know, about real estate or otherwise, you know, happy to chime in and give you my two cents. Definitely, definitely. Like I said, we definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Look, it's a pleasure being on. Thank you guys both so much for having me. And uh, hopefully you have me back. We can probably have a chance yeah, again soon. Definitely. Whenever I uh, come to uh, East Coast, New York, or D.C., I'm, I'm, I'm going to definitely hit you up. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, appreciate you, man. You have a good day. You too. Thank you. Well, that was another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast with Don Peebles. And like you said, he dropped this information for all you that want to get in touch with him, ask some more info on real estate questions or whatever. And for and wrapping up, for those who don't know, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Xavier C. Miller. And D, your info is... And you can find me on Instagram at Deanna Kent or Kent Real Estate. Or you can find me on Twitter at Deanna S. Kent. And that is all we have for you guys. Appreciate y'all for listening to this episode. See y'all next episode. Peace. On the way to the big check, you ain't know I'm up next till I'm on the way. You ain't take a risk cause you too afraid. I'ma just eat till I'm overweight. On the way 